Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Andy Johnson. I am the uh, I am the caboose end of the thing that is Melissa and Andy. Uh, we were uh, my bride and I. Uh, she grew up here at this church, and our three kids, Elijah, Omni, and Isaiah. We were your missionaries for 13 years to the Dagara tribe of Burkina Faso, West Africa, and. Uh, and we're back here today, and, and it's a pleasure just to be with people that are actually aware that Burkina Faso is a real place. Um, most Americans have never even heard of the country, and so it's good to be here with people that have, that have prayed for Burkina Faso and who care about that country. So it's good to be with you. Um, uh, the Johnson family, we are doing well. I, w- I was told to kind of give you an update on how we are. We actually have moved again. Um, uh, Lord willing, we're not going to do it again for a while. Uh, we've settled in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. And, and I am the newest employee at an organization called Missions Resource Network. Uh, what MRN does, we are a group that, that helps churches send missionaries better and helps missionaries go in a more healthy way. Here in the Churches of Christ, we, we send missionaries independently. Uh, individual church families send families to the field, and I love that. I think it's one of the, very, one of the, one of the healthiest ways that we can do mission uh, because it meant that, that we were yours. Uh, it, it meant that when we came back on furlough, you cared about us, and, and you cared about the people that we worked with. We weren't sent by a big overseeing agency that we were, that we were employees of, or very impersonal. But on the other hand, there's a lot of collective wisdom that gets gained through the sending of hundreds of missionaries over the years that, that an individual church that gets to send two or three doesn't necessarily have. And so one of the things that we try to do at MRN is to just fill some of that gap. We, we try to help churches send missionaries in a healthier way. We try to help missionaries go healthier when they go to the field because the, the stresses that come from being missionaries on the field, they, what, whatever, whatever other kind of mess you had going on inside of you, once you get outside of your own culture and you're trying to learn language and you're trying to live in community, all of that stuff kind of bubbles up to the surface in a way that it never has before. So we try to help people go a little healthier. And, then, and, then one of, and so that's part of what I work in. Another thing that we're trying to do is, and I ran into this, for a few years I got to be a missions minister at a local church in central Alabama, and one of the things that I struggled with was when we're ready to send a new missionary, when, when, we've, when, when we've got the funds and we want to send somebody, where in all of this world should we send them? How, how do we decide? Do we, do we pick the person and let them pick the place? Do we pick the place and look for the person? There, there's a lot of those challenges that come into to sending. And so one of the things that we try to do at MRN is to just be aware of where God's working in the world. What are surprising things that he's doing in this world. And, and, and I absolutely, of course, believe that every person born on this earth needs to hear the gospel. But there are definitely places where people are responding in, in exciting ways. One of these is right now around the Mediterranean rim, the countries that surround the Mediterranean. Muslims are coming to Christ in ways that we've never seen before uh, in any of our lifetimes. Uh, whether they are refugees that have been forced from their home country or they are people who are still living where they were born, Muslims are coming to Christ in new and surprising ways. It's, it's, a, it's a staggering statistic. In the last 20 years, it's estimated that more people have come out of Islam and into Christianity than in the previous 1,400 years of Islam's existence. And a lot of this is happening in the Mediterranean Rim. And so, yes, the whole world needs to hear. But right now, the Spirit's doing a new and surprising thing. So let's get our resources there. And by resources, I mean our people, our sons and daughters. And so that's part of what we do at MRN is to try to connect Churches that want to send and people that want to be sent, get them connected and, and, and help them understand where the best places are to go. That's a big part of what I do. I love my job. I'm excited about being there. Um, like I mentioned, prior before, before coming to MRN to work, I was a missionary in Burkina Faso. Um, now, Burkina Faso is a little country in West Africa. 
Uh, you guys sent our family there to plant churches with a little tribe there called the Dagara. And as many of you are aware, um, Burkina Faso is not quite the safe country that it used to be. We, we lived there for a dozen years of, of, of relative peace. For, for a West African country, while we were there for those dozen years, things were very peaceful. And that's no longer the case. Um, over the last 18 months, Burkina Faso has averaged more than two terrorist incidents a week. Uh, most of that's Muslim on Muslim in that country, but, uh, but particularly over the last couple of months, there have been four churches that have been attacked and burned in the country. Um, and so, so it's a country that's, that's heading in a, in, a, in a challenging direction. In all likelihood, I imagine there's probably a sifting of Christians that's coming uh, in that place. And so I need you, I need to ask you, as, as people that care about this country, uh, be in prayer about it, that the Prince of Peace would reign in that place. Uh, now, now, when we were your missionaries, we felt well sent by this church. We knew beyond any doubt that you loved us and that you prayed for us and that you were glad to see us when we came on furloughs. You came to visit us. This was a great sending church. And I'm guessing that if we asked the 80s or if we asked the, the other Johnsons, evidently you guys have a thing for, for missionary Johnsons, um, they, would, they would attest to that, that you guys are a good sending church. And so what I want to do today is say to you, let's do even better. Let's do more. You're already a great sending church. What I want to talk to you today about are some of the things that make missionaries tick. What are some of the things that, that rattle around in missionary heads and hearts that make them want to do the things they do so that you can be a better sending church? Um, because the truth is, those of you who know me well enough, you would know that there are some things about me that are a little quirky. Uh, some of those, although definitely not all of them, are related to my time living in Burkina. Uh, and so today I want to talk to you about some of the things that, uh, that, that make me quirky and people like me quirky. Um, Jesus told us to, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I want to talk to you today about the missionary, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And hopefully it's going to help you understand your missionaries better, uh, but also it's going to bring a blessing to you, I hope, here at Tri-Valley of maximizing the value, maximizing the benefit of sending missionaries. Because the way God designed this whole thing, this whole going into all the world and reaching the nations, was so that it would be a two-way street of blessing. So that as the Tri-Valley Church builds up sections of Australia through the Johnsons, the Tri-Valley Church here in Livermore, California, would also be built up. That's, that's the way this thing works best when it's a two-way street of blessing. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Before we do that, I want to invite the Lord into this time one more time and ask his Holy Spirit to speak. So let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for this Sunday. Uh, we know that one of these days, there's going to come a time when there are no more Sundays. Uh, we, we just finished singing about that. And, and Lord, we look to that day, but you haven't sent it yet. And so there's a reason we're here on this Sunday. We know that it's to praise you. So Father, we pray that we would honor you with everything that we do on this day. In particular, over these next few minutes, Lord, I pray that everything that is said right now is truth. And if there's anything that I've prepared, Lord, that's not in line with, your, with what your spirit would have this church here today, then strike it from my lips, Lord. Uh, so be in this moment, Lord. Direct this moment. We pray this in the Christ. Amen. Now, as I was, as I was sharing my thoughts for this Sunday with, with a good buddy of mine, I was surprised by his pushback. Um, I, 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 was, I thought, who can argue with a guy that wants to talk about missionaries? I mean, that, and, but, but he pushed back on me, and he said, I hear what you're saying. When are we going to get the sermon on the heart, soul, mind, and strength of the lawyer or of the school teacher? Uh, why do we care so much about missionaries? Why do we bother talking about them? Why are they a special part of the budget? Why do they get a special Sunday? Uh, so he and I jostled around a little bit, um, mostly figuratively, not too much literally, and, and we settled on, on three reasons 
why we ought to care. Uh, why should we care about the heart, soul, mind, and strength of a missionary? The first of these is that they answered a call. At some point, every one of your missionaries that have been sent were called by God. Maybe they saw a need that they thought God wanted to use them to fill, or maybe there was a church that looked at them and said, we believe in you, we want to send you out, or probably some combination of the three. And they went. And not everybody does. As those who now send, we honor that, both for what they've done and what they're doing, and for the generations to come, so that they can, they can inspire the future missionaries and follow in their footsteps. Now, now, I don't think we can talk about call without thinking about our military. Um, as Americans, we honor our military because they answered a call that we all received, but most of us declined. And in the same way, but with, with eternal consequences, missionaries sent from churches have earned our respect too. Now, in my experience, they're going to dodge it. They're not going to want it. Um, but we ought to honor the fact that they answered a call. Secondly, we have a call too. As senders, we have a call. In fact, this whole missionary thing, I think, can be summed up in three words. You either go, you send, or you disobey. Those are the only three options, as far as what I can tell, what Jesus set us off to do. And our missionaries that have been sent out from us go and do with the very best of their abilities. And those of us who've chosen to stay should send them with the very best of our abilities, with everything that God's given us. And number three, I think we ought to care because it's what churches do. Uh, there, there's a church that was in Antioch, and it was known for a few firsts. Uh, that's one of the perks of being one of the first churches. It was the, it was the very first place where Christians were called Christian, which is a really great thing. That, that's a neat claim to fame for that Antioch church. But also, I believe the Antioch church was really the first intentional mission-sending church. So this morning, I want to take a little bit of a look at that. I'd like to read to you about a little bit about that experience. We're going to be looking uh, at the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. It comes after the four Gospels that, that tell the stories of Jesus from four different angles. So we're going to pick up in, in Acts chapter 13, the first four verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. They were Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Did you get that? The guy grew up, he's in the church, and he grew up with the king and Saul. One day while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed again, they placed their hands on them, and they sent them off. So the two of them, Barnabas and Saul, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed on. Now, there's a few things that we see in this. Uh, first of all, the folks that were praying about mission were the leaders of this church. They were teachers. They were prophets. Uh, you don't grow up with the king if you don't come from money. So they were people of influence. And they were listening to the Holy Spirit. As they were worshiping and fasting, they were listening. And they received a word from the Holy Spirit, and they did it. Now, they responded to what the Holy Spirit said. Now, I, want you, I don't want you to miss something that's said there. In verse 3, it says, after they'd fasted and prayed, they, the Christians, placed their hands on them and sent them off. Then hear what the next verse says. The next verse said, the two of them sent on their way by whom? Sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful place for a church to reach, where, where the actions that they do are so in line with what God wants that in one breath they can say, we sent them out, and in the next breath they can say, the Holy Spirit sent them out. So what a beautiful place for a church to reach. We're going to see that same kind of thing happen again a couple chapters later in 15, which we're going to come to here in just a second. All right, so these missionaries, they go and they do. 
they do some pretty great stuff. They, they confront magicians, they preach, they quote some, some really cool Old Testament scriptures. Uh, they see some success, they eventually get run out of a city, but even as they're chased out of the city, uh, the disciples are still filled with joy and with the Spirit. Uh, at one point, uh, they get confused for the very Greek gods they were preaching against, uh, which in the missionary world we call a missionary fail, uh, to get confused for the people you're preaching against. Um, and as an aside, it'll surprise some of you, I know, but I've never actually been confused for a Greek god. So anyway, uh, we, don't, we don't hear about Antioch again until some folks from the sending town come and stone Paul and drag him out thinking that he was dead. Uh, my hope is that you guys have never done that to Maudine 80. That's, that's my prayer. Uh, I don't think any of your missionaries have experienced that. That's the hope at least. All right, so we'll pick back up in 1421. Uh, that's after all these really cool things that have happened. Uh, in 1421, they preached the good news in that city. That city was, was Derbe, a place that they'd been for a little while. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. Did you catch that? The missionaries that have gone have come back now, and they're praying for them and, and, even, and even installing leadership. And with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. I think what we have going on here is the very first missionary furlough. Barnabas and Saul, they've gone and they've done, but they're not finished. They've still got a few things to do, but they pass through town. And as they're passing through, they stop in at the church that sent them in the first place and just think of how much value that Antioch church received from Barnabas and Saul cycling back through and telling of the things that God had done, the hardships, and the good stuff as well, for praying for them. And so you see that beautiful turning of the tables. The church had prayed and fasted and sent them. Now they've come back, and they're praying and fasting for the church that sent them in the first place. Just what a beautiful, what a beautiful two-way street that's happening on this furlough. And I know it's the same kind of thing that happens when the 80s pass through town and when the Johnsons pass through town. You get to hear the stories of what God is doing through you, through the people that you've sent, and to receive blessing from them. It's just the way God's drawn it up. Anyway, let's finish out this missionary journey. Uh, in verse 26, from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they were originally committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together, and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So they have finished this first missionary journey, and they've come back to this church, and, and the church welcomes them back. The church celebrates what God's done through them, and then the church hosts them for a while and learns from them. But here's what I want you to notice. Those missionaries and the church that sent them were now equipped by God to move into the main theological controversy facing the church of its day. It was an issue of basic identity for the people of God. In chapter 15, we've got a conversation that happens in the early church about just how Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian. And that's a really important conversation for people that don't want baptism and circumcision forever linked together. And, and I believe that what has happened is that, in part, because this church sent those missionaries who have now come back, the church was a part of this conversation that opened wide the gates of the church to the nations. Because they sent, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that the gates of the church were thrown wide open to the Gentiles, at least in small part because the Antioch church was used by God to send missionaries and then took the time to listen to them when they got back. 
And that's why this thing matters. That's why we care about missionaries, because we as a church will be forever better equipped to face a world that's always changing if we stop and listen to the people that have actually ventured out into it and have come back to tell the stories. So with that said, I want to take the remainder of my time this morning to share just a little bit about what makes missionaries tick. Uh, Getting them their money is a wonderful thing. This is something that matters, and it's something that you always were faithful to as a church. But let's talk about doing more. Let's try to understand them a little bit better. So we're going to start with the missionary heart. You need to understand, church family, that I am a different person for having loved and been loved by people around this world in different places. Some of my very best friends in the world don't speak a lick of English, and they have no real desire to. In many respects, the people that still know me best now live in Burkina Bay villages. Uh, They're the ones that walked with me as I turned the corner out of grad school and and became a man. Uh, They're the ones who struggled with me and my bride through through five miscarriages and, and infertility struggles. They're the ones who begged the Lord to open wide the gates and give us children. They're the ones who joined me in praying those floodgates shut when we got three children in three years. Um, And it was really from these ex-pagans that I learned what grace looks like lived out in family settings. These were the friends who once told me during a season of political unrest in Burkina that if if things went sideways, if something really bad happened to me, they would make sure my wife and kids stayed safe. Now, I like to say that as an American, I have a very peculiar patriotism. I grew up in North Texas, outside of Shepherd Air Force Base, in a church that had pilots cycling in and out all the time, being trained in the Air Force. Uh, I, I, loved the little, I loved the Blue Angels when I was a little guy. Uh, I tear up when I hear the national anthem. My little blue passport means a whole lot to me, uh, particularly when I'm outside these borders. I've seen a lot of places in the world, and to a large part, to a large extent, I love being American. But I also have two sons that were born on Burkina Bay soil, And I've got a daughter in the middle of them that kind of wishes she had been. I care deeply about what happens in Burkina Faso, and it breaks my heart the way the country's spiraling downward into into turmoil. Now, most of the time, these two patriotisms don't really come in tension. Although sometimes occasional careless words or tweets from political leaders bring, bring some tension about. But for the missionary heart, it runs a lot deeper than politics. I want you to to listen to what a friend of mine who serves in central China had to say. He said, my heart is in two different countries, and I feel at home in neither, which makes my soul long for heaven. My friend's peculiar patriotism is such because he understands that his real allegiance is to a greater kingdom, something that's very reassuring that our Lord gets that too. Uh, He told us that, that he didn't have really a place to lay his head either. Those who are loved and who love different countries and peoples and languages and cultures eventually develop a deeper love for the God who made those languages and peoples and cultures, and they have a desire to be where his rule is already recognized, and they work to make it on earth as it already is in heaven. And one of the things they bring to the sending church is this understanding that we're not earthly creatures who are just dragging our chains around, trying to scrape our way into heaven, but we're sons and daughters of a king. And we're on our way to his kingdom. And we're trying to take along as many people for the walk as we can. And missionaries get that. And I hope you do too. Understanding the missionary mind. Uh, this is some of the fun stuff. I, I got to, I had a wide range of choices of goofy stories about myself and some of my buddies to try and pick about, about illustrating some things about the missionary mind. 
Uh, to begin with, let's go back to my friend in China. Uh, he wrote me, he said, we have to be, honestly, a little bit off to do what we do. And that's okay. And I love that my sending church loves that that's okay. Friends, good sending churches embrace the quirkiness within their own church family. And I saw your song leader today. I know you got quirky here. <laughs> and they extend grace. They, they extend grace to each other and to their own missionaries also. Now, I've, I've felt this weirdness. The story that I picked, uh, when I moved back to America, like I said, we, we settled in central Alabama. And I thought, I'm going to be a minister of the Church of Christ in the Deep South. I need a suit. <laughs> and so I'd heard about this Dillard's discount store in the mall where, where good clothing goes to die. And so we walked into this place, and, and it smelled like good clothes had gone there to die, and it was, it was crowded, and it was loud, and I was just off the field. And I tried on pants that should have fit me, but they were like 10 inches too long. A lot of the suits didn't, didn't even look finished. And, and, I, and it sounds funny, but I panicked. And I had to get out of there. And so I, I ran out of the store. I called my wife on my flip phone. And I told her, I said, Melissa, I, I, we got to get out of here. I can't be here. And she said, babe, there's clearance. And, um, and so she stayed in there. Evidently, the missionary woman mind wasn't as panicked as I was. <laughs> but, from, but from things like picking out deodorant from two aisles worth of deodorant, uh, to a breakfast cereal, to trying to find stylish pants, to trying to talk back to the guy standing next to you in the bathroom who's talking on his Bluetooth headphones, Missionary minds have a hard time fitting in. And you've probably noticed that your missionaries, they eat differently, they, they talk differently, they spend money differently, they watch football differently, they even probably watch a different kind of football. And sometimes they worship and pray very differently. So the question is, why is that the case? Well, to help you understand that, I want to tell you a story about shapes today. I want you to imagine that you are a triangle and you're born in the triangle land. You move like a triangle, you talk like a triangle, you move at the rhythm of a triangle, and life is good. But then one day, you take your triangle self and you put your triangle self on an airplane and you fly over to circle land. Now in circle land, the stuff that makes you you is the stuff that keeps poking into people. And you're there to help, but you wind up stepping on toes. You wind up offending people unintentionally. You're, you just feel out of step. You don't you don't fit in with everybody. You, the, your triangleness is, is, is wounding other people on accident, and it's making you feel like an outsider. But the longer you're there, the more you start to figure out that the circles, they kind of understand how the world works in this place. They, they understand circle land better than you do as a triangle, and so you start to think about some of the ways they think about time, or the ways they think about priorities, or the ways they think about relationship. And you never sacrifice gospel truth, but you start to think a little bit like, a circle, and so you'll never be a circle. You weren't born one, but maybe you'll be a hexagon. And all of a sudden, you're a hexagon moving among the circles, and you move a little better. You've still got some points, but you don't really poke into people quite the way that you used to. You're able to roll with things in circle land that used to, used to set you off, and you've suddenly become, by the grace of God, effective. And you get to live, and you get to move in this, in this circle land, and you get to, by the grace of God, be an effective minister in that place. And those are, those are the, that's the sweet spot. Those are the really good years. Until one day, you put your hexagon self on an airplane, and where do you go home to? You go back to triangle land. And all of a sudden, you're a hexagon living in triangle land. And the stuff that used to make you you 
is now the stuff that other people still do that kind of pokes you the wrong way. And you're going to eventually learn to move at a triangle kind of rhythm, but you're never going to be a triangle again. For having lived with the circles, you're never going to be fully a triangle again. And my friends, that's the grown-ups. What about the kids? Well, the kids have grown up in a false home. They've grown up in a hexagon home, surrounded by circles. They go on furlough to Grandma Triangle's house. <laughs> and we're going to call them stars, because that's what missionary kids are. These days, we tend to call them third culture kids, because they are they're this third rail culture in between that of their parents' passport country and their host country. And kids like this bring incredible gifts to the table. They are world Christians. Uh, they see people and things that other people miss. They're trained, just, they're just grown up to observe culture and to see who the outsiders are that need to get brought in. Uh, they, they invest in people quickly. They trust quickly because they're accustomed to people coming into their lives for intense moments of fellowship and then moving seven time zones away. They know they need to invest quickly, but at the same time, these third culture kids, they can risk losing themselves as they switch back and forth from culture to culture. And that is why it is so important to you as ascending church to understand and love missionary kids. Love them for the stars that they are. They can enrich your church so much if you just give them the space to do so. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. The next time you have a chance to bump around some missionaries, particularly some with kids still, ask them lots of questions. Let them talk. Listen well, and you just might realize they've got a whole lot to offer you, even if they never got around to buying a good-looking suit. All right, let's talk about the missionary soul. Three quick points for this. First of all, the first word you need to understand the missionary soul is the word delight. Missionaries understand the sheer joy, the delight of being squarely in the middle of God's plans for their lives. Now, that is not to say missionaries always enjoy what they do, or that they always like the people that they're around, or that they always want to be there. Sometimes they have bad days. Sometimes they have bad weeks or months, and on occasion you have the bad year or two. A buddy of mine that just left the field after 12 years in Tanzania explained that his overseeing church helped love him and support him through doubts and disappointments and even real depression. But through all of these things, there was a deep abiding sense of our Lord's pleasure because he got to be sent to go and do what God made him to do. The second word you need to understand is the word dry. The support system, the mentors, the resources that help people become leaders in their own culture and in their own church such that somebody wanted to send them to another place are suddenly yanked away from them when they get there. And, and podcasts and videos help, but you all know nothing takes the place of time spent with people that breathe life into you. And that's something that missionaries have a real lack in their life, people that breathe life into them. So I want to encourage you, as a sending church, pray for your missionaries' souls, that streams of living water would flow in abundance into their, into their souls. Pray, for, pray that when they seek God, they would discover him, and they'd find out that he's still that friend who's closer than a brother to them. And finally, to understand the missionary soul, you've got to understand the importance of one other D word, discipleship. Now, now I, think, I think the church talks a lot about discipleship. One might even say we harp on it. Uh, but the truth is, that's the ball game. That's the whole thing. Leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, that's it. That's what it's all about. And I believe the word discipleship, though, winds up being a little more intimidating than it needs to be. 
uh, I think the actual process can, can be less intimidating than that word is. So I just want to give you an easy way to define discipleship. Step one, engage the word. This is little w word. Read the word. Read it again. Go back and read it one more time. Discover what the Bible has to say to you. And having discovered that, go out and do it. Expect that an encounter with the word of God ought to leave you changed. And then go do something. Then the next step is to follow the word. This is word capital W. We're told in, we're told in scripture that that's another name for Jesus, that he is the living word. So shape your life after Jesus' life the very best you can. Pray the way that Jesus prayed. Care about the people and the things that Jesus cared about. Surround yourself with the kind of people that Jesus surrounded himself with and pour yourself into a few of them. I think you're going to see that the world is going to start to change. And finally, speaking of the world, go into it. And I want you to believe that means you. Now, you may not physically pack up and move across the ocean, but Jesus has called every single one of us to be a part of introducing the people that we have access to to Jesus. That's a part of being a believer. We don't get to skip out on that one. Every one of us, as we engage the word and as we follow the word, we go out into the world because we've all got unbelievers in our lives that we love and care about. And Jesus has put us in their lives so that we can reach them. And finally, we're going to wrap up by talking about the strength of a missionary. I think that the strength of a missionary can be summed up in one word. Uh, there's an author named Bob Goff that I enjoy reading sometimes, and he says the strength of a missionary is the word with. Those first missionaries, those 11 guys who were left staring up into the sky at the top of a mountain, had zero chance of success. They didn't stand a chance of doing what Jesus had just told them to do, except for the fact that Jesus had promised he's going to be with them. That's a promise that he fulfilled just a little bit later in the coming of the Holy Spirit. His promise to be with them turned this devastating moment of abandonment into one of, of reassuring eternal presence. And every one of our missionaries that we send out has been sent to do an impossible task. Uh, the 80s are pretty great people, but the task they've tackled is beyond them. Uh, the Johnsons are wonderful, and they've got really great Australian accents but they stand no chance of succeeding in that ministry without the Spirit's involvement. Amen. There's no way that those, those, those small groups of disciples that I told you about in the Med Rim that are making such a difference in the Muslim world, there's no way that they're going to be able to engage refugees who have lost everything and see them turned into missionaries in waiting that are just chomping at the bit to get access back to their original, host, their, their original home countries that were previously closed. None of that kind of stuff can happen unless Jesus really is with us. One of the things that your missionaries bring to the table and they offer sending churches is that they are daily attempting things that are bound to fail if Jesus doesn't show up. I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves a little more often than we do is when is the last time I tried something that I know was going to fail if the Lord wasn't in it? Missionary stories, their challenges, their encouragements can serve to push us and inspire us to attempt these kinds of things too. Uh, so right now, to, to wrap up, and, and the praise team, you guys can come on up here. Um, to wrap up, what I'd like to do, um, as someone who, who was sent by you and has now cycled on back, we, we got to experience that missionary cycle that we read about with the Antioch Church together. Uh, you, you prayed for us, you sent us out, we cycled through on furloughs, and now we're done and we're back. As one who was sent by you, I'd like to speak a blessing over you, uh, and then after that, we're going to wrap things up here at worship. So let's pray together.
Our Father in heaven, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray that every one of them would have an understanding that their allegiance is to a greater kingdom. That we are sons and daughters of you, the only real king. And that we ought to be a part of making your will done in this place as it already is in the place that we're all headed to eventually. So Father, I pray that you would use these, your sons and daughters, that this part of California would become a little bit more like what you created it to be because you've chosen these sons and daughters from this church. Father, I pray for the Tri-Valley Church that they would become a better sending church. They've started well and they've got a great history of this, Lord. Keep sending them out. Give them a bigger vision. Keep them moving forward. God, I pray that they would be courageous in their giving, that they would be courageous in their loving and in their sending. I pray that they would be courageous in offering their sons and daughters to you for service in your kingdom. Finally, God, I want to pray that you would give the Tri-Valley Church and her leadership God-sized dreams. Father, I pray that this church would be unafraid to attempt things that are bound to fail if you don't show up, that are bound to fail if you aren't with us. So, Father, right now we give you thanks that you have, in fact, promised that you are with us. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to do that. We pray all of these things through the Christ and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.